Hi, welcome to the Second Breakfast Podcast. This podcast is designed to serve more of God's Word to His people. I'm your host, Tyler Velasic. Joining me is Mike Greiner, the pastor at Harvest Community Church in Western Pennsylvania. Each week, Mike brings a sermon based on 1 Timothy, but what he doesn't get to bring is all the things that he learned which don't fit into that sermon. So, we're here to go deeper into the portions of the Bible from the weekend message. Since the Bible is food for our souls, and that sermon is like a meal, this podcast is designed to be a second meal, a second breakfast. All right. Okay. Second breakfast today is actually we're going to grow the breakfast. We're growing breakfast. Yeah. Well, you know, all food comes Not from... moldy growth. No, no, that'd be... You let you mean if you if you don't eat the breakfast and you just watch to see what grows on it? Is that what you mean? That's that's what I'm, I'm, wonder, I'm no, no, nervous no. about. No, no, no. So no. how are we growing it? Um, well... All food grows in the ground first. Okay. Hey, did you ever think of this? The The only thing we ever eat is sunlight. Okay. Did you, uh, did you ever think of that? Not in the form of not, sunlight. Or not only is the only thing we ever eat is sunlight, the only thing that ever does anything on the earth is sunlight. Mm. Because like, photosynthesis. Well, all we, energy is actually just sun heat or sunlight. Mm-hmm. Okay. That is turned into a fuel by a plant, and that and those plants feed the earth. Everything and, that we eat, and everything you do. I mean, let's say you take um, put gas in your car. You're really mm-hmm. burning sunlight, or at least the energy from the sun. Because, because yeah, tra- you step it back. We got that gasoline from those poor dead dinosaurs. That or something life. dead. I don't know so, what it was. <laughs> something sacrificed its life so that we could have gasoline. And that thing that sacrificed its life ate, ate plants. <laughs> ate it always plants. comes back to plants, right? Ate the plants, which ate sunlight. Which made its food, which took capture the energy of the sun. So sunlight runs everything. So what does the sun eat? <laughs> it's just a big fireball, dude. Okay. So that has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but... I because thought that was interesting. It's it, it is cool how God made everything. He made everything run on light. All the energy we use is light. It's been, obviously, it's not in the same form. Um, probably the least efficient way to use sunlight's power is solar energy. <laughs> Think about right that for Right now, a yeah. Isn't that funny? You've got to process it. Um, but, but what you're saying is right now we are all using solar energy, whether we want to or not. Oh, yeah. You're just not using it directly like right. with a big – yeah. So, And God designed it that way. It's really magical when you think about it. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so first takeaway is be grateful for the sun and go out and get a tan. No, 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 don't get a tan. You can get a tan if you want a tan. But, you know, I once saw it was a Doonesbury comic where one of the liberal cartoons characters, because they're all liberals on that cartoon um, – Went back in time and was in Egypt, and they actually where they worship the sun god Ra. Mm-hmm. And one of the Egyptian ladies said something about needing to worship the sun god Ra outside. And the modern liberal girl, of course, said she thought Ra caused melanoma, so she avoided the worship. But in any case, I uh, thinking about agriculture um, matters. Uh, f- because Jesus used a lot of agricultural pictures, and, which is really cool. If you think about illustrations in sermons, I know we haven't got to our content yet, but 
what the heck? If you think about il- illustrations in sermons, um, which I do. Okay. Yeah, you should. <laughs> a good sermon sh- illustration should make you think. Well, before I get to that, let me ask you a question then. How many illustrations do you think a sermon should have? As a listener to sermons, do they help you or don't help you? Or Well, definitely if it's a good illustration, it helps. Can you think of any good illustrations you've heard in a sermon ever? <laughs> um, ever? Well... Yeah, I mean, if if you want me to sit here and think about them, I could. But what about Jesus using parables? Aren't those illustrations? Well, actually, parables are a whole different thing. But yes, that this is my point. Okay, Il, is Jesus? Jesus is pretty cool. He spices up his teaching uh-huh. with with uh, you know he says he says the rain falls on the good and the bad. That's very picturesque language. Yeah, you could picture that. Yeah, and he says the hairs of your head are all numbered is a way of saying God cares about you. And he he talks a lot about agriculture, but he invented agriculture. Um and so if you want something to grow, it needs it needs the proper uh stuff. Mm-hmm. For example, if if you were to plant a plant outside, say a tomato plant, what's it need? You need uh, ground, you need water, you need sunlight. Right, and you could use the correct temperature, too. And, and, and you generally have to fight weeds. Well, in, in your life, what, do you, what should you be growing spiritually? And what, what's important to make that crop grow? That's the question we tackled in, uh, in the sermon on First Timothy one, four, and five. We already did a sermon on three, two, five, but then we broke out four and five and gave it its own, actually four B and five, its mm-hmm. own sermon. Um, and and uh, so do you want to read? Why don't you read that for yeah, us? Yeah, sure, because those are, I feel like those are really important verses. So we'll get into those. So verse four. You might start in three because that's where the sentence starts, but we really want to look at four. Okay. And five. The end of four and five. So verse three. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion. Okay. Now, whoa, that was an interruption noise. Ignore that. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Um, last time we talked a little bit about speculations and, and, and false teachings, but there's a contrast here. In verse four, he says, don't, that, that you got to stop people who devote themselves to myths. But then he uses the word rather. He says, he says, those who devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, stop them from teaching because those things only promote speculation. But then he says, rather than. And then what comes after rather is what you should do, right? Don't do this. Rather. Instead, do this. Do this. So, and what should you do? Here we go. Rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. We talked about that in the last podcast, but let's go to verse 5. The aim of our charge is love. We also mentioned that, but I don't think we went too deep. So let's look a little deeper. The aim of our charge is love. 
But then look what comes after that. In that verse, Tyler, the aim of our charge is love. What three ingredients come after love? Uh, okay, so you have a pure heart, a yes. good conscience, yes, and a sincere faith. Yes, a pure heart, a good conscience, sincere faith. Okay. Now, the aim of our charge is love um, that issues from those. What do you think it means to issue from? Okay, so, so you're talking about word pictures. Here's the word picture I'm getting. We're, we're a little loving tomato that's growing. And what does this loving tomato need to grow? You know, normally, like, like I said, we, a normal tomato needs sunlight and ground and water. And our sunlight, ground, and water would be a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. And that's how your little love tomato grows. A love tomato, huh? Yeah. So, so you think the VeggieTales guys had it right? We're like Bob the tomato and Larry the cucumber. I, I guess that's, this is exactly what they were thinking. Yeah, I think I'm it, sure. Uh, okay. Well, hey, you, t- you said about illustrations, and that, you got my mind on the illustrations. I know that. That may have been a mistake by me. But okay, I get that. So, But the, la- the construction of the language itself points us to... I, I just love this actual verse. I love it because it oh, yeah. says, The goal of our instruction is to produce love. Look at love as the crop. Okay. Okay, love is the crop. That's the, the product. Um, what goes into the product? Well, first, instruction goes in. Really, there's a fourth thing. Okay. Right? Because if the goal of your instruction is love, that means it requires education. In order to love properly, you have to be educated on loving. Love education does not come from Al Green. Well, Al Green actually became a Christian. Uh, Barry White songs. Love uh, education comes from doctrine. Okay. That's a wild thought. Okay. Yeah, so you're saying that we're loving incorrectly, or not loving at all, and is it a pastor's job to teach you how to love correctly? No. I guess it could be taken that way, so I'm not, yeah. Uh, No, Um, you may love correctly. I mean, well... The nature of love is a hard one. Let's, I feel like skirting that sub, that subject a little bit here um, because the nature of love is so broad. What I would So let's narrow it in. This, okay. this verse is saying, though, that when we do teach, our goal is love. It's not saying that there is no form of love apart from our teaching. So, so I don't want to go there. But love itself is the fruit of doctrine or the goal of doctrine. Or teaching. Now, when you say doctrine, people um, often can be very contentious about doctrine. Okay. They can get really mad and fight. A lot of people like to fight over Calvinism, either against it or for it. Mm-hmm. And, and I've seen both. I've seen people say, hey, look, if your Calvinism is a, uh, is, a, is a teaching from the devil and other Calvinists, saying look if you if you don't get the the doctrines of grace correct then you're just like a subpar idiot christian which mm-hmm. isn't very graceful uh now obviously there's a most people aren't that mean but i do think it, it's easy to to say people fight over doctrinal beliefs oh yeah so how can yeah. how can the goal of our instruction be love if often instruction leads christians to fight with each other well i think we miss the goal and i think that we you know, for me, I, I mean, until until as a church we had gone over 
begun going over the book of First Timothy, I didn't know that that verse was in there. And if you were to ask me what the goal of the church is, I probably would have given more of a nebulous answer, maybe something along the lines of, well, we're supposed to love Jesus or love or get more people to come to the church, something along those lines. And I wouldn't have said that our teaching, the goal, the aim of our charge is love. I wouldn't have said that because I didn't even know that was there. That That's a good point. So then what, so the, so what you're saying is the average Christian thinks in general, we're supposed to grow the church or it, to and fill love appeal. God and be good. Basically. And read your Bible. The basics. Yeah. But, but maybe not putting them together and realizing that the goal of your instruction is love. What sort of instruction results in love? Um, the love your quit fighting with your brother. I mean, how many times is that sentence said throughout human history? <laughs> it uh, works every time. As soon as you say that. Oh yeah, right. Not, <laughs> that works like a charm. Uh, yeah, everyone knows that doesn't work. Um, is that the instruct? Is that is that what it means? Goal of our instruction is love. Means God's yelling at us. Stop fighting. Be good. Um, I don't know. I, the goal of our instruction is love. Well, let's look at what comes after that. Okay. And then there's these three ingredients that are like the sun, the soil, and the and the miracle grow fertilizer, right? A pure heart, a good conscience, a sincere faith. And the goal of our instruction is love that comes from a pure heart. It love comes from a pure heart. Love comes from a good conscience. Love comes from a sincere faith. And I think it's all three at once. Um, so if that's true, that means... Somehow, our teaching is what? Producing a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith? So, you're saying, is what we're teaching I'm, I'm saying, I'm asking, is, is that what verse 5 is saying? Is verse 5 saying, look, if you teach right, your people will get a pure heart. If you teach right, your people will get a good conscience. And if you teach right, your people will get a sincere faith. And having those three things... What will come out of that is love because it sounds like that's what he's saying. The goal of our instruction is love and love comes or issues from pure heart. Love comes from a pure heart. So I think like, so to me, what it sounds like is he's, what he's saying is first comes a pure heart, the good conscience and sincere faith. And out of that comes love. Am I right? Well, I'm not, I'm, I'm posing the question, but I'm being a little cagey. I'm posing the question because that's what the text seems to say. Mm -hmm. So, what kind of teaching gets you a pure heart? What kind of teaching gets you a good conscience? What kind of teaching gets you a sincere faith? It's a good question. That's a question for a pastor. Aha. Uh -huh. Well, this, I, I don't think it's as hard as it looks. I think when we come back to the gospel, uh, growing more knowledgeable in Christ, growing older in Christ should lead you to be to feel more loved by God, a cleaner conscience should should be what you grow in. A more sincere faith, or literally that word is an unfeigned faith, or a yeah, an unfaked in in the, in the first language. It's un it's unfaked, which isn't I don't even know if that's a word in English. Unfaked, unfeigned. Um, Genuine, real, 
a real faith, not one that you're lying about. Well, genuine is perfect, is a good way to say it. The word is, uh, is, 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 um, the Greek lesson for the day. Huh? I'm, I'm trying to pronounce it correctly. Uh, anapokrito, something like that. And the an, and it goes in and it undoes what the word is. Cause it, you know, if you put that prefix on a word, right. it undoes it. So it's, it's actually fake, unfake, unfeigned. So genuine, actually, well done. That's good. That's a good translation. You are now a Greek scholar. Genuine faith, a genuine faith. But what is faith except a trust in God? So as you're growing in knowledge, what you want is to grow with more trust in God. Um, the, the older you get in Christ, it doesn't mean you should be better at understanding theology, though that can happen, or have your apologetics in order, or... All your theology is so sewed up you can argue with an Arminian or a Calvinist or whatever you want to argue with. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've got all your verses memorized, though it may. What it means is your heart is pure. Your heart is pure. Your your conscience is good. Where do those things come from? In your life, when do you feel like your heart's the cleanest? When exactly? Yeah. Oh, this, so this is a personal question. A personal when is question my heart you. cleanest? Yeah. Is it too broad to say just when I'm not sinning, when I don't have guilt? Okay. When I don't good. feel guilt. Is that good? Too broad? I think that's no. I think it's right where he's going. A pure heart and a good conscience. Okay. Right. Okay. Sure. Sure. So how? When do you feel like you're not sinning, and no guilt? <laughs> um, so I'll try to use words that the Bible is using from the same verse. I'll say that like when I'm loving somebody, maybe I think you're putting the cart before the horse as far as this verse goes. I think it goes the other way. Okay. You have the pure heart. Then you love. And now I'm not saying this is love. chronological, okay. but the, it says that the love issues from the pure heart. It didn't say the pure heart issues from the love. Okay. So, and that's probably makes sense because grace comes before works. Have you ever felt dirty and guilty? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then went before God and said, God, I feel dirty and guilty. And then thought about the fact that he died for your sins and felt renewed. Okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, Right. And how can you be confident that he forgives you? Because I'm confident in his grace. And you're confident in his forgiveness and his love where do you learn about his grace forgiveness and love reading the bible that's right so now we're connecting instruction and the way you actually are spiritually right a sincere faith what what kind of things can challenge your trust in god Uh, real things happening to you like if you're saying it's sincere i mean you could you could say that you have faith, but I don't think it's really sincere until you've been tested. Right. What kind of situations test uh, whether the people fail this test a lot? What kind of t- situations test someone's faith? I guess anything that shakes your notions about God, like you think that you think that God is loving you, and then as soon as a family member dies. You think that it's because God no longer loves you. I have a friend. When I was a kid, uh, my dad was uh, in Vietnam twice. And um, and 
he he had this teenage guy who, who babysat us a few times when I was living in Florida. And he was the son of a, of a soldier who was a friend of my dad's. Well, that soldier got killed in Vietnam. And this guy told us he was an atheist. And we asked him why. He said because he prayed that his dad wouldn't get killed and his dad was killed. Um, his, his faith was tested mm-hmm. by pain. His worldview couldn't handle God and his dad being dead. Um, the, imagine uh, someone doing wrong to another person. Uh, rape, robbery, betrayal. And then that person's called upon to go through life with faith first in God, that God is still good, even required to view this thing. So you, you need to forgive this person. Mm-hmm. Um, or imagine someone gets is, is going on in life and, and, and has plans, good plans. They can plan to be a missionary. Okay. And they fall off their tractor and break a vertebrae, and then they're paralyzed. Um, the These things... Let or let's say there's a national disaster. You're in a nation, maybe not America, maybe America is one day, and civil war breaks out, and half your family gets killed. Um, are these tests of faith? Yeah. So when all those when all those bad things happen, when there's calamities like that, that's when your faith is being tested, right? Like, do you still believe that God is good? Do you still believe that God loves That's you? That's it. That's right there. Do you? And is he powerful enough? First, is 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 he good? And then even if he does, if he is, say, on your side, why didn't he do anything? And those will test your faith. If he's even real. Do you even, is he, is he even there now? So so those are the issues, trust. Okay, let's say it. the, the sellout comes another, or the test comes like a sellout. Um you know, you have an opportunity to do the wrong thing and make $100,000 just this one time. Do you do the wrong thing? Oh, because then you could ask for forgiveness after it's you did it. Right. That's right. That's right. You, um, you, once you learn how grace works, you say, well, I'm just going to go steal it, and then I'll say mm-hmm. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, ha- I have a free grace undo. <laughs> That's right. Um, is that a sincere trust in God? The issue is trust. Is, can I trust God no matter what is the question? And the, it's more complex than just saying have faith. And reading the scriptures throughout your life and instructing people with the scriptures say, when someone when someone like this happened in my lifetime, it happened in yours too, but you were just a kid. I'm sure you remember it. When, when, when someone takes a plane filled with Americans and flies it into a tower, um, is there an explanation from the scripture that, that that can convince me that God is good? Well, yeah, there is, actually. Um, that God is sovereign over all these things. That he knows, I shouldn't use the word sovereign so quickly, only because that only speaks to the initiated. Um, those who don't talk uh, theology speak. Um, by that I mean that God is actually uh, in charge of all the details. He knew that what was happening. He's active in the midst of it. 
Um, and and still, he's going to take that evil deed and work it for good for everyone involved who loves him. Th- this faith it grows over time through experience, but definitely through instruction. Uh, a good conscience. Can God really forgive me? Um, and can my conscience? I, I think good conscience can go two ways. One, you can have a clean conscience. How do you get a clean conscience? I, I guess it. Clean to me implies that it once was dirty, so I mean, so I think sometimes I have I have like a dirty conscience. I'm like, okay, you know what? I know what I just did, and I know that that was wrong, but I know that God can forgive me and He can clean my conscience. How do you know? Because uh, I still I still know that what I've done is wrong, but I know that what I've done is forgiven. How do you know? Because he told me that's when did he tell you all I go off of? He tells me in the Bible. He says, what's he say in the Bible? He says, wash me and make me whiter than snow. That's you went right to Isaiah 51 very, or I mean, Psalm, Psalm, 51. Psalm 51, Psalm 51. Very good. And, and, and where he says, create in me a clean heart. Oh God. So a, a, a good conscience, a clean conscience can be because you just never do anything wrong, which is none okay, of us. Sure. Um, and so, but the Bible teaches you how to pray in Psalm 51. Mm-hmm. And, and you and you go before him and you and you have the assurance that he will clean your conscience, right? Yeah, creating me a clean heart. Well, that's just a request. How do you know he's going to do it? Well, why would it be in there if an all-powerful God wouldn't do it? Well, because maybe it just means he's going to do it for David. Doesn't mean he's going to do it for you. Not for everybody. Well, it's and it's just a request. I mean, I've heard, I've I've heard Muslims who said that that when they seek Allah. Um, they ask for his goodness, but they can't be assured they're going to necessarily get what they're asking for, his forgiveness and his mercy. He's uh, merciful, but how do you know you get it? How do you know? Well, what what kind of Bible promise is there that says that we'll get it? Well, I was asking you. It says uh, that one man died for all sins. Is that a sufficient verse? Is it sufficient for you? <laughs> I guess not. Well, I don't know. How's your conscience feeling? My conscience feels good because I know that I've been forgiven because How I trust you know? the Bible. But I'm trying to, but you I'm struggling to think of which verse. So maybe your conscience isn't me. as clean as you think. <laughs> you know, this is an indictment on me since I'm your uh, pastor. If you, uh, you, if you can't do a little bit better with this, I might have to commit Hanakiti <laughs> or Harry Carey, as they call it. Mm. Now, you don't want me to pull out a sword and end my earthly existence in shame, do you? I do not. So then say something like, "Okay, how about if we, we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? Okay. My little children, I write to you that you do not sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, even the Lord Jesus Christ. See, John teaches us these things. Okay. Right? Right. I, w- I was trying to take it to Romans. That- well, you always do. Good. See, that I feel better. I Put the sword away. He went to Romans. I'm good. <laughs> okay. Romans is always good. Like. Neither death nor life nor anything else That's not bad. can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. That's not bad. So he says that we can't be separated from his love. All right. And yeah. how, oh, okay. How about this? Instead, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Very Isn't that good. eight one? Romans eight one. Eight one. Yeah. So so if I'm in Christ, you know, if A then B. If, if I'm in B. Christ, then there's no condemnation for me. And since I'm not condemned. My conscience can rest. The free gift is not like the transgression. And that's, that's Romans also, 15.5. Um, 
the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, Adam. That's Romans 5, 16. Um, we trust the one who justifies the one who does not work, Paul says. Um, the, the ungodly. And so, yeah, we, we can have a clean conscience because we know that repentance and, and Christ died for our sins. But we even could be challenged. Our emotions can, can be challenged there. But the point is that as we go through our lives, if we're growing in doctrine, we're growing in a clean conscience, a pure heart, and, and, and faith. And that's just not a given. You can't just hear it once and that's it. You're not going to struggle anymore. Um, but how does that relate to love? Let's put it all back together. Okay. How does having a pure heart, a good consciousness, sincere faith, how does that make love issue forth? Well, I think it. Okay, so so to me, whenever whenever I think about having a clean conscience, knowing that I've been forgiven, um, I was just talking about this with a couple other friends earlier. It's called it. It might not make sense, but hang with me for a second. It's language immersion. Have you ever heard that? If you were to, if you want to learn a language. Go if you want to learn Spanish, go to Mexico, mm-hmm. hang out in Mexico City mm-hmm. for three weeks, yeah. and uh, people are going to speak Spanish to you. And if you get spoken to in Spanish, you'll learn how to speak in Spanish. And in the same way, if you want to learn how to love, get people to love you. And if all that you're spoken to is in the language of love, your if your input is love, your output will be love. Well, how do you get a bunch of people to love you so you can learn how to love? Well, God loves you. You're you're getting God's love. That's the input, and your output is love back to him and love to other people. And it, his way of loving you, he clears your conscience. He, he's the one who gives you the pure heart, and he, it gives you the sincere faith. Yeah, because he sent his son to die for you. I think this is the—I think you hit the heart of it, is— if no one else loves you, God does, which may sound like a consolation <laughs> prize. You know, everybody hates me, but God loves me. Um, but it's really the truth. If you have confidence that you're loved by God, that's where your strength is going to be. Normally, when, when I'm most defensive and easily offended in those areas, it's not because the person offending me really deserves as much anger or, or as I feel. It's that I'm feeling insecure or, or what we call insecure. It's kind of, that's kind of psychobabble, but we take it in our culture as a, as a thing. We call it insecure. But what is insecure anyway? It's just, okay, you're not feeling secure, so you feel like they don't love you. And what, yeah, you're unwanted. S- yeah, well, I'm not feeling loved. And often that insecurity comes from inside me. Mm-hmm. Um, to put it another way, I, um, I once knew a guy who was just certain that nobody was saved. Now he didn't say that, but every time we talked, he talked about anyone, he would point out how their doctrine was wrong here and their doctrine was wrong there. And he wasn't sure that person was a Christian. And he wasn't sure that person was a Christian. And we, and, and he had this, this theology, which was pretty much correct, but he was angry about it. And, and he was convinced in the assurance of salvation through Christ, but it seemed like nobody he thought was sincere enough. And I asked him, do you really think God's forgiven you? And he was stunned. And he's like, actually, I'm not sure. And I, I sat there thinking, well, maybe you're questioning everyone else's salvation because you 
you feel unloved yourself. I see. Um, so if he had felt loved, he wouldn't have questioned their salvation. Well, if he had been convinced that he was loved, perhaps he wouldn't have. I don't know. This is me speculating. I do know this. First John says, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from sin. There, there's some sort of relationship between our being cleansed from sin and our fellowship with our neighbor, with our brother. And, and isn't it true, though, when you feel like most graced, if you will, by God, it's easier to be kind to others? Yeah. And when you feel a little guilty, a little scared, it's really easy to be impatient with others. There's a practical value to walking around thinking about the cross, walking around thinking about grace, walking around thinking about I really am forgiven. God really does. You know what that that's sound the means? Timer. Yes, it means. That's that sound. Man, we've used up all our time. I feel like we were just getting going. Yeah. Nevertheless. Yeah, I could be here for another hour. We could be. Um, so, but we're going to stop here. Um, we do uh, want to remember that uh, love is the goal of our instruction. Uh, and so it's the test of our instruction. Let's end on that note. Uh, we do want to be intellectual and get our doctrine right, know our theology, and be able to write theology books and and argue for the truth. But if that isn't connected to an actual love, it's worthless. And Paul mm. makes that very clear in First Corinthians in an explicit way. He says, if you if you if you prophesy and know all manner of truths, but you don't love, you're an idiot. He doesn't say you're an idiot. That's my paraphrase. But you, you know, you, you're just you're just noisemaker if you can speak in all these tongues, but you don't have love. You can give your life to be burned. You can feed the poor. So the same, the, the goal, the instruction is to help us love. And it helps us love by literally changing us in the way we think. Mm-hmm. So we think loving thoughts. We think discipline thoughts correctly, truth. Um, and we it'll change the way we feel. And it changes the way we actually, you know, look at life. We trust God and move forward. And, and then we can love. So love is the goal. But now we're finished. We're finished. Now, last week or two weeks ago, we asked for emails for anyone who could say they remember the day they mm-hmm. were converted. Conversion experience. Yeah, you and I both said that we couldn't put it on one day. It was more of a... It was gradual. It was like it was like a snowball rolling down the hill, and uh, now it just can't stop. Snowballs rolling down the hill. <laughs> and at one point, the snowball was not a snowball, and one, one day you looked up, it was a snowball. Is that how that works? Uh well, yeah, uh, you know. At one once day it, you were dangling over hell on a spider's web, and the next day you were on solid ground mm-hmm. on, in heaven. Yeah, once it was a one day you know, you a were, mustard seed. Next day it was a pumpkin-sized seed, mustard seed. Well, that's weird. Maybe one day you just were bigger seeds every day. You were just a disgusting, smelly piece of this just a social attack? putrescence. <laughs> <laughs> then, then gradually you looked up and say, "Hey." I'm like a fluffy cloud of angel hair. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think I often think that about myself. <laughs> but that's not what we want. We want. Okay, well, those are good stories too. But well, we want to hear a, a road to Damascus story. Somebody who has a single point that they can convert to, where they, at uh, five minutes ago, were a godless heathen, and uh, immediately right. afterwards they saw they saw Jesus yeah. in his fullness and trusted Boom. him. 
boom, there it is. So send it in. We actually now have an email address. I heard that. Okay. Are you a ready for it? E- now, if they're sending it into PastorMikeAppealBox.com, that's still okay. Still works. However, but we have a professional email. So pens and papers ready. It is mtsecondbreakfast at gmail.com. And that'll be in the link, a link in the description. Now, well. M is for Mike and T is for and Tyler. T is for Tyler. But do you realize that put them together, it's an empty second breakfast, <laughs> which means like no calories. I was thinking empty as in short for a mountain, a mountain of second That's breakfast. A, you remember there was a bank around here called M&T uh, and they bank. just changed their name. I love that. The empty bank. <laughs> I ain't going there um, or go there. They need your money. So uh, the other thing is if you want to hear the sermons that go along with these uh, podcasts, you can go to... Go to harvestpa.org. That's it, harvestpa.org. And, uh, Look us up on iTunes. And that's it. Now, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you, just like he made the sun to shine upon you and give you energy.